Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the Endurance Asia podcast. This week we've got Ben Pullum, the founder of Coached, a sports lab testing and coaching business based out of of Singapore. He's on with his exercise physiologist, Jim Webster, and it's a really, really interesting episode where we get quite deep into, I suppose, the, um, the sports science behind endurance sports. Ben himself is a, a previously a, a professional triathlete. He used to represent New Zealand at the uh, Triathlon World Championships and World Cups and was also in the Olympic trials. So he comes from a, a, a very good stock of, um, of being an endurance athlete. But his story about uh, building the, the coached business and, uh, and all of the testing and everything that they do from fuel efficiency to lactate threshold, VO2 max and, uh, and sweat testing, really looking at the data behind, uh, behind the athletes so they can program a plan to, to help them be, to help their, um, their, their athletes be successful. So I really, really enjoyed this chat. Both Rick and I have been through testing with Coach, so we we go through some of the results from that and uh, and and the process, uh, and we talk a little, a little bit about the the benefits of um, of of rest, of sleep, uh, recovery, uh, and a lot around nutrition. Uh, I must caveat here, none of us are, are nutritionists, um, but uh, but yeah, talk a lot about, um, but having said that, we've all researched a lot around nutrition uh, and and have some, uh, some uh, pretty strong, uh, strong beliefs, um, but certainly not dogmatic, uh, but yeah, really keen for, um, for uh, to to share this one and and recommend uh, anyone that's here in Singapore to to think about uh, doing some some testing to see exactly where their uh, where their bar lies at the moment and, and setting a plan for improvement when it comes to um, I mean specifically around uh, around lactate threshold and uh, and fuel efficiency and setting training zones to be able to to improve those and, and and looking at your diet to be able to to become more fuel efficient so without further ado this is Ben Pullum and Jim Webster from coached that the truthful story of they ever asked Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Ben, Jim, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, in fact, actually, I say welcome, and I'm sitting in your uh, in your testing laboratory here with uh, with the gents from from Coached, Ben Pullum and James Webster, um, Jim. So I'm really excited to sit down with you guys because um, I was actually first sort of made aware of you guys a few years ago. I was speaking to a friend about VO2 max testing and he was yeah. like, oh, like, come and speak to these uh, these guys about doing some testing. And just 
I think we met in a coffee shop and you just completely opened up the whole new world of, I suppose, like the the depth of analysis you can go into with endurance sports. And um, and yeah, it, it led to sort of me coming and meeting with you guys. And I think I've been through three testing with you, but you started off with VO2 max testing is like kind of a waste of time. It's a vanity test, but um, <laughs> but yeah, led into quite a few um, a few other sort of tests that we've been through over the over the years. But um, yeah, like firstly, Ben, Jim, if you want to introduce yourselves and just sort of like give a bit about your uh, your background and how you got to here. Um, sure, man. So my background's in triathlon. I was fortunate to spend a good chunk of years in the early 2000s racing as a professional triathlete. Um, represented New Zealand at the World Cup Series, which is at the time the highest level of the sport. Now they have the World Championship Series. Um, and then 2007. Yeah, what year was that? I, my last year was in 2007. So from about 2000 to 2007, I was full time. The last five of those as a legit professional, meaning I earned more than I spent. Um, <laughs> and I race, I, I, I'd be what I call a second tier pro. Like I, I was in the races with all the top guys, but I was the guy making up the numbers back in, you know, 20th to 30th position. Yeah, which in the best of the world is still, uh, is still pretty impressive though. Well, right? I mean, I, I was decent, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think I reached my potential. I, I did the Olympic trials in Beijing in 07. Then I had to come to Singapore to run a 10K here for my, one of my sponsors. And uh, that morning I woke up in absolute agony. Like I literally thought I was dying. And it turned out I had a really severe strain of dengue fever. You're kidding. Yeah, man. So but you picked up in Singapore. Yeah, I must have got bitten by a mosquito a few days before, uh, a few days before the race. And then woke up the morning of the race, just an absolute suffering. Did you still race? No, no, I was going to say. I, mate, I, I couldn't get out of bed. Like, I, I couldn't move. I was in bed for six months. Wow. Like, I literally just it, it smashed me. And I think, too, because I'd come off the Olympic trials, I was so lean. Like, I'm so fat now compared to, to what I was at that point, right? And yeah. I, I just think when you're training at that level, like, often your immune system is on the, the verge of, yeah. of, of, you know, it's so suppressed. It's on the verge of being sick all the time. And then when you get something like that, like, I just don't think I had anything to fight. So, so you reckon that, did that actually like retire you then? I well, suppose six I, months I say out. it did, but in hindsight, looking back, like, I could have come back. It's just my coach who was a doctor, he was looking at my bloods as well and saying, look, your, your immune system is fried. It's going to take a year to get your fitness back. Um, probably another year to, to, you know, really get back into good shape. By then yeah. they'll be running about another minute faster. You'll be 30, you know, so I hope you come back. I support you to come back, but you know, you can yeah. think about what you want to do. And I, I gave it some thought, you know, and my goals, like I, I grew up watching Hamish Carter and Cameron Brown and all these guys who are famous New Zealand triathletes race and they were racing the World Cup series. They were sponsored by Nike. So that's what I wanted to do. And I was fortunate to do both of those. So yeah. I mean, well, I sort of achieved my goals. So yeah, I'll, I'll look to do something else. And it's a hard way to make a living. Like it's good fun. But it's it's pretty tough. Yeah, and it sort of uh, um, we'll, we'll sort of get you to intro in a second as well, Jim. But it does uh, sort of beg the question about how good is endurance sports for you in terms of like it can completely shatter your immune system, can't you? And there is a there is a line as to the point where it's good for longevity, it's good for overall fitness, but it gets to the point where it can really sort of affect your overall well being if you uh, if you're pushing it too hard, right? Definitely, man. I think that's one of the biggest learnings for me, having moved from racing as a professional to now being so heavily involved with the testing and seeing what effects uh, different types of training and nutrition and sleep and things have on your metabolic function and how you clear lactate and some other things. And I think to a point, some aerobic training is obviously very beneficial. Yeah. But for the people that take it to the extreme, like 
what I was and probably what you're doing, um, I wouldn't say that it's good for you. Yeah, yeah. We just we were talking about the we, we, Jim and I were talking about watching the um, the Iron Cowboy, the fifty mar- <laughs> uh, the fifty Ironmans, fifty days, yeah. fifty states. But yeah, the the lack of sleep and everything there. Must, I wonder how it would took him a year or two to recover. I'm sure. But um, but yeah, Jim, what, what's your background, sir? <laughs> well, I don't know. I can follow uh, Ben. I'm not by no means <laughs> an elite athlete, that's for sure. But no, my background, I'm uh, the sports scientist here at Coach. So. Uh, now been in Singapore a year and now nine months, right? Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so, um, yeah, before that, I come from the UK, uh, studied uh, at Exeter University, doing my sports science degree. Always been interested in sport myself, uh, dabbled in motorsport as I went through my teens. But, you know, since uh, moving here, typically I was very fortunate to meet Ben quite early on and, uh, yeah, kind of operate his lab. So I'm not an elite athlete by any means, but, you know, I'm interested in running and I take part every now and then, so... Yeah, you're the you're the scientist amongst us, and uh, and that like segues quite nicely onto um, both Rick and I have uh, have been through some testing quite recently with you guys. We were actually we planned to do it as like a guinea pig thing, doing a before and after. Um, that would have been nice. It yeah, would have been, been nice to that because um, yeah, Rick did. Uh, we were going to use Rick as a guinea pig to then sort of maybe change his diet, go on a training block, and soon after it, he got hand, foot, and mouth after oh. sight, and so his whole training <laughs> went to nice. pot. Um, but still it'll be good to sort of discuss the the testing we went through and why and then the kind of results and and really sort of um i suppose advice to to listeners on on why they should do it and what are the sort of things that you would be looking to to get out of um the kind of testing that we went through sure well just to rewind back a little bit the reason we opened the lab in the first place was because back when i was racing pro one of the the perks i guess you could call it was you could go into the different institutes around the place plug yourself into some machines, look at really what's going on inside your body, and then based on those results, optimize to improve your training, um, your nutrition, your lifestyle habits, so that you can hopefully win some more money, get some better results, right? Yeah. Um, When I first moved to Singapore, I wanted to get a test done for one of the first athletes I started coaching, and I realized I couldn't do it. There was no place that I could find that offered lactate testing. So even though I'm not a sports scientist, I thought, well, I understand the applied side very well because I've done tons of these tests. And so I partnered up with a sports scientist and that's sort of how we started out. And then things have evolved. So the two tests we took you through, one was a lactate test. That's the one I used to do a lot when I was an athlete. And that's basically just a fitness test. The second one, um, which is the one that I think is pretty interesting, is the what we call a fuel efficiency test, which is essentially a metabolic test. And it's looking at how you're preferencing your energy at different intensities. Yeah. So over the last 12 years that I've been here, I've become a very big advocate for becoming a fat burner. One of the last conversations I had with my coach back in 2006, I think it was, he was saying, I wonder if we could make you better at burning fat because if we could, you would conserve glycogen and you'd be able to race at a higher output um, with less reliance on the external fuel, so less gut issues and stuff that comes with that. And then nothing really came of that because... um, I got sick and sort of wound it up. Then in 2008, when I moved here and we were looking to buy a VO2 max machine, um, an off comment by the salesperson was like, oh, and it has a fat burning software. And so I bought it exclusively for the fat burning software. And I had no idea whether or not you could change a person's fat burning, but it turns out you can, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me the story actually of, um, of picking up a book called, uh, WTF, What the Fat? And, yeah. um, and reading about the, um, the nutritionist in there actually used to be your nutritionist in New Zealand, right? That's right, man. And she wrote a book about the, the benefits of, of a healthy fat diet over a sort of carb loading diet. And you were like, Hey, this isn't what you told me before, right? Exactly, man. So when I came to Singapore, like, what was interesting is because I'd gone from this obscene amount of training, I was doing, you know, anywhere between 20 and 30 hours a week, probably, um, to nothing, I started putting on weight. Like, I didn't get fat because I was insanely lean, but as the owner of a new fitness company, like, putting on weight is not a good start. <laughs> and so it coincided at the same time as we got this metabolic testing stuff. So I thought, okay, cool, guinea pig time. So I jumped on the machine, started doing some testing on myself and, you know, my parents and friends and family and whatnot. And started reading. I was just Googling, like, can you improve fat metabolism? And then started reading and turns out you can. Um, And so our first, the first book I ever read was a book called Why We Get Fat. And that's by a guy called Gary Talbs. And he talks about insulin. And that was sort of my first introduction to insulin and why having too much of that inhibits fat burning and from there like I, I i kept playing with it and we started to refine our protocols and to to really see that you can improve someone um so significantly so two or three years after that i was sitting in new zealand around a coffee table catching up with one of my old coaches and sticking out on the coffee table was the what the fat book and it had a big i think from memory there's a frying pan with a big butt of butter in it yeah. And it just caught my attention because that's what I've been um, telling people here, right? Like, you know, limit the carbs, up the healthy fats, yeah. saturated fats are not the enemy. Um, and so I, I pulled this book out just to have a look. And then at the bottom, the author caught my, caught my eye. So it's a lady, by one of the authors, there's three authors. One of the authors is a lady called Karen Zinn. And she was one of my dietitians when I was racing. And she had always told me to eat a high carb, low fat diet. And so I called her up and said, Karen, it sounds like you owe me a coffee. <laughs> and we went and met up at the university where she works in Auckland and we just had a chat. And it turned out that the co-author of the book is a guy called Grant Schofield, who was also a long course professional triathlete in New Zealand. Um, I didn't know him at the time, but I knew of him. And he's a professor of public health. And so one of the big issues that he's facing in his role is diabetes. Yeah. And so he brought the question to Karen a few years ago, if diabetes um, is a function of insulin why are we recommending a high a diet that promotes a high insulin response and she was like yeah that's a good question and so then they started diving down the rabbit hole of research that's been done all around the world back into the i think the 50s and started to realize that things had gone awry and that um what we thought we knew about nutrition was not quite right. On yeah, the flip there's that side, famous um, research done around the like around the sugar, like the sugar that was financed by the sugar exactly, industry, right? Yeah, yeah, that, exactly. that demonized saturated fat as the cause for heart disease. Unfortunately, yeah. And on the flip side too, they have access to a lab like this at the university, so I, I believe they were doing a lot of the same sort of testing that we're doing, and they just saw for themselves, like we have, yeah. that the, the carbs, especially the processed and starchy carbs uh, inhibiting fat burning. And so they've gone out on a crusade to um, teach people about the benefits of a lower carb, healthy fat diet. And they've written this book called What the Fat and a few others with a similar title. And they're doing really good things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really... um 
it's really interesting the I suppose that it's considered like a fad diet, a keto diet, um, low carb, high fat. And it's got, um, as with any of these, uh, the, like nutrition, and I'm really keen to get a nutritionist on the podcast, people can become very dogmatic about it. And it's oh. like, there's only one diet for everyone in the world. That's and uh, whether man. it be vegan, whether it be like a protein, high protein, whether it be keto, low carb, high fat, what, I mean, yeah. there, and it's I like think, politics and religion, mate. Yeah, uh, everyone has an opinion and mm-hmm. it's all... Uh, you, all you need to do is just jump on a, on a Twitter feed and just put a handle in keto or something and just see the sort of um, the differencing in views on it. And But it, but even in the sort of sci- scientific world, there's a lady called um, Louise Burke in Australia that's been doing a lot of research around... Uh, sort of um professional athletes yeah. and actually trying to do- work out whether it it pr- improves import- um, performance in the very highest level of elite athlete and the findings aren't conclusive yeah. um one thing is for sure though that eating a high high fat low carb diet can help you reduce your your body fat percentage it can help you lose weight whether that is through portion control because you feel more satiated and you don't need to eat as much because if you're eating high fat you're less hungry um but it definitely is sent 10 and reduces insulin um resistance and there's there's lots of um studies to prove that so overall health of your general well-being or like general person and general populace you know, there's a, so much anecdotal evidence and there's becoming more sort of like mass um, e- evidence to prove that it's it's good for people's health. Yeah, and I, I think that's an important idea too because a lot of people like, they look exclusively at performance and a lot of the research studies, especially around the elite athletes, they are looking exclusively at performance, Yeah. right? Now, that's fine if you're trying to win an Olympic gold medal, but if you're not, if you're like you with a family and a job and, you know, lots of things battling for your attention my argument is that performance shouldn't be your only goal. Like when we create our coach programs, we're obviously going to make people better. That's why they pay us money, but we're not exclusively optimizing for performance. We're also optimizing for health. And I think health and fitness are not the same thing. I used to think they were, but you can be very fit and very unhealthy. Um, And uh, I think that's an important consideration when you read these types of studies and things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my advice to people on it, and, and I try not to be dogmatic, but it's like, just try it. Just go through and, and it, but it has to be like, not just, uh, uh, try it for two weeks. You have to, tr- you have to invest in like a three month period to be able to truly see, cause it, there's a certain adaptation period when you change for your sure. diet to be able yeah. to get used to burning and, the fat. And, and I think that's about. part of the problem. Like a lot of people half ass things. Yeah. And so they half ass it. They go, Oh, well, it didn't work properly. You know, or I, you know, I had cravings still or whatever. And I'm like, it's not a fair test. You know, yeah. like if, if someone really goes down the rabbit hole and does the protocols properly and tries it properly, like more often than not, it will have some benefit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as we talk about performance, like we, so the, the test that you do for the fuel efficiency, if you could yep. just explain about how the fuel efficiency test works, Jim. Yes. Yeah, so the fuel efficiency test, the main protocol is what we call a ramp test. So the aim of the game is to essentially get the individual to go from what we would class definitely as low intensity all the way up to high intensity. So we have a, a set duration of 20 minutes to achieve that. Okay, so the incline on the treadmill would be fixed. Uh, if it's on the bike, we would obviously have a wheel on trainer. Uh, but the aim is to just slowly build up the resistance. Okay, so 
whilst the individual's doing that, we have them masked up and we have them hooked up to our metabolic cart here. And what we're essentially looking to establish is and analyze the respiratory exchange ratio between the oxygen they breathe in and the carbon dioxide they breathe out. Because by using that, we can typically dictate which fuel source their body's typically prioritizing, whether it be it fat or you know carbohydrate. And just to drill down on that, so the more, when you're breathing out carbohydrate, that's indicative of the amount of fat you're burning, or is it, yeah, how, how does it? Well, actually- so typically fat as a fuel is very oxygen dependent. Yeah. So in order for us to be able to oxidize it, we need to be operating where that's way more present than we emit CO2. So under lower intensity, where we're training aerobically, that's where we'll commonly find you be able to maximize on being able to burn fat. It's only when you start to push the intensity and work harder that you start to see then that ratio change within your breathing because you know we're working harder and the mechanisms are at play and that's where sugar typically will then take over and yeah so but what but what what is the actual machine testing for is it testing for the volume of carbohydrate you're still breathing out or the volume of oxygen you're still breathing? oxygen and co2 yeah just yeah. per breath yeah so it's looking at the ratio between the two okay yeah. and if the if the ratio is high with the volume of carbohydrate you're breathing out does that mean you're um you, you're burning but more you don't fat. breathe out carbohydrate yeah. No, you breathe CO2. like yeah. essentially you breathe in oxygen. Yeah. If your body's able to use it, you'll breathe out a higher percentage of carbon dioxide. That's the sign you're burning more fat. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't know. Breathe, I meant like, carbon dioxide. Not carbon. Right? Did I say carbohydrate? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I meant carbon so dioxide. As you run sorry. faster, you puff, right? So yeah. the breathing becomes a little bit more shallow. So you're breathing yeah. in the oxygen. You're still using some of yeah. it, obviously, but you're breathing out a higher proportion of carbon dioxide. Okay. So, but if you're burning glycogen, you'll be breathing out a higher proportion of oxygen as opposed to um, yes. carbon dioxide. Yeah, your breathing frequency naturally rises right because you're trying to get as much oxygen in your system to sustain the supposed effort so the issue is is you should naturally emit more co2 which as a result just causes our body to switch its focus towards sugar because it's a much faster acting fuel source and it helps us you know meet the demand of what you're undergoing so you'll see as we go through the test the ratio gradually build and it will change to the point where we can then naturally see your body shifting and prioritizing uh, way more sugar or carbohydrate okay and so for endurance sports what is the um what is the ideal volume of both carbohydrate and fat burning um well, at a certain good. intensity what what are the sort of uh, yeah what should people be aiming for it depends on the, i'd say it depends on more the activity to be honest because yeah. we have a range of different endurance athletes whether you're a triathlete or if you're a runner typically the discipline you're going to undergo and where you're going to do that discipline or typically dictate but the general rule of thumb is is you want to try be as reliant on fat for fuel as you can someone who's deemed fat adapted can burn what would typically be determined as 60 grams per hour um, so if you're able to get up to that sort of volume or you know a gram per minute then you're doing well in terms of being able to metabolize fat yeah. in terms of carbohydrate you essentially want to rely as little on it as possible it's naturally going to take over so where we what we call or what we typically call a crossover point occur we ideally want that to happen as close to what we call your lactate threshold so you can basically operate and sustain the highest output you can before sugar and carbohydrate inevitably take over yeah so yeah and that, that's an interesting point because your and the, i suppose the correlation between fuel efficiency and lactate threshold is quite important because what can, the, what's the amount of time you can maintain at your lactate threshold? Is it like an, an hour? hour? Yeah, an yeah, hour. Everyone's so. different. People who are well trained can sustain it a little more, but say an hour. Yeah, yeah. and so um, if you're doing like a um, half marathon, I mean the elite level, uh, they'll be doing yeah, an hour. Yeah. That, that that means that if they can burn 
purely fat at their lactate threshold, then they could run a half marathon at their lactate threshold pace without having to uh, access their glycogen stores for the entire race, in theory. Well, you'll find that at lactate threshold, there's usually a breakdown of the two. You're never going to be relying entirely on one fuel and reserving the other. That will only be happening around your easy zone. Yeah, okay. Right? But when yeah. you're at your lactate threshold, there's going to be a good concoction of the two. Yeah, m- most people who come in here and do a test cannot burn any fat at the lactate threshold. Yeah. You're a it's rare common, exception. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the goal is, is, is not to be completely anti-carb, but the, the idea is that if we can improve your metabolic health, have you burn more fat, you conserve glycogen. Now, the upside of that is you only store roughly 1,500 to 2,000 calories of glycogen in your muscles and your liver, mm-hmm. and that's, that's not much. That's probably a marathon pace, maybe 90 minutes, two yeah. hours worth of energy. Yeah. So if you're going to run more than that and you don't take anything in, you're going to hit the wall, right? Yeah. Um, or you're going to have to take in a lot of external fuel. Yeah. Now, if we can make you better at burning fat, you can serve that glycogen because you're burning a higher proportion of that total energy as fat mm-hmm. and yeah. just a little bit of glycogen. And yeah. then as the intensity moves up, you burn less fat, more glycogen. Yeah, and yeah. this is interesting when it comes to when when it comes to longer endurance sports. A lot of people have issues around taking fuel on while they're while they're moving. They they'll have like gastric issues. They can't like eat or or you know get sick of gels. I'm sure like when you were training at the yeah. a professional level, like I'm yeah. sure you well, got sick of goos at the. Bottom. I never went as long as you did, man. I never <laughs> raced more than a couple of hours, but uh, I trained. But your intensity would have been... A, My intensity like, is higher, for sure. Yeah. But I think um, anytime your body's under stress, it will try and preserve. So yeah. when you're under stress in the end of an ultra or, or in an Ironman or something like that, like your digestive system is not essential. And yeah. so the blood that is usually flowing through there to help make it function pulls to other places like the heart, the muscles, the brain. Yeah. And what would normally work well and you should be able to digest doesn't work so well and you start to end up having tummy issues and so again my argument is always like if we can make you a better fat burner um you're less reliant on those external fuel sources so instead of maybe having to have a gel every 30 minutes you can have a gel every hour or every hour and a half and that's enough to top up what you're losing because you're also generating energy from fat yeah you're and i think that's your fat stores that's the idea which in theory your fat stores are effectively limitless so yeah. if you're running a, like a race in a day it will i mean most people will carry sort of yeah, 10 to 20% of body fat for normal elite athletes are down to sort of 4%, I suppose. But even at 4% body yeah. fat percentage, oh, you still, you still want to use the tap resource. Yeah, like yeah. anywhere from 30 to 50,000 calories, give or take, you know, of, of fuel readily available. So in terms of fat cells. So yeah, no matter how high or low your typical body fat percentage is, you typically have a, a good amount to tap into. Yeah. So uh, let's touch quickly on, uh, so Rick and I have both been through the testing. So yeah, it would be good to sort of touch on the results from, from the two of them. stroke your ego. Yeah. No, no. Good. So, so the, these good guys results. are good fat burners. You guys are good fat burners, man. Your result in 12 years of doing this test, and I think we've done, like I've been witness to over 8,000, is the best test that, the last one that you did, is the best test that I've seen. 
Wow. I mean, so, yeah, myself, that's pretty impressive, included. mate. You, uh, sorry if I just bring up your result again. I wish that correlated to overall fitness and performance. Like, like you're, you're burning up to 90 grams an hour of fat. That, yeah. That's insane. Based on what we charged, yeah. yeah. That, no. That's impressive. Just to give you perspective, an average person that comes through here will burn between 20 and 30 at yeah, best. Yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes yeah. 40. You're, you're up at, you started about 75 you gradually build up to 90 and then you go all the way along to a threshold. And even I think when you get to about threshold, you're still at close to 60 grams. And when you say threshold, that's lactate. Lactate threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So someone who can, like I say, metabolize fat very well, they can typically find that at lactate threshold where lactate accumulates way more than we can clear. That's also where fat then turns off and sugar takes over because they both correlate. So you're pretty much able to do that by the looks of things, by the the, the data we collect. And there's certain things that drive this, right? Like one is nutrition. You eat a lower carb, healthy fat diet. So because of that, your blood sugar is not spiking. Insulin is not firing in the same way that a person eating a standard Western Singaporean or Indian diet is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's point one. Point two is you do a lot of low-intensity aerobic training, and yeah. that also facilitates um, the development of your fat-burning system because there's oxygen available. Mm. Yeah. Interestingly, before I came in to do the um, the testing, I, I I used like keto strips to occasionally test my blood ketone level, and it, I think it was one point eight before okay. I came here, which is fully in ketosis, which is a uh, yeah, which is one of the reasons that the the fat burning would be well is a, is an indicator of fat burning being high. Sure but is. um, um, and I think like so, I've been doing a, a a low carb, high fat diet for pretty much two years. Um, and I think the last time we did the testing, I'd been like a um a few months into it. Um, but Rick, who also did the test, is uh, he's not on a um uh low carb diet, but his results were. We're also pretty This were pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah. like he, he was burning over 60 grams an hour as well for a good chunk of the test. He dropped off earlier than you did yeah. in terms of like he didn't burn it for as long. Um, but still, anything over 60 grams is pretty impressive. Like typically we, we classify people as fat adapted at over 60 grams. So it's not bad. Like if, if he did do uh, experiment with a lower carb, healthy fat diet, like he could potentially push that up closer to where you are, you know, 70, yeah. 80 90 grams an hour yeah you were actually pretty surprised that he wasn't on that kind of diet already yeah, weren't you? yeah. this is typically the profile we see for someone who's eating a lot less carbohydrate than him. but i think it's fair to, to say too like even though he's eating carbohydrate he he's eating a relative at least based on what he told us a pretty minimally processed diet like it's not yeah. like he's loading up on pizza and and pasta and you know all this crappy sugar like he's yeah. eating a pretty clean diet yeah. yeah, and also one thing to note too, based on the results, you can see in comparison to you, like where carbohydrate starts to you know get tapped into is at much lower intensity, naturally because of that, because he's prioritizing it more in his diet. As yeah. a result, his body is naturally re- resorting to relying on it more, it, albeit it's still secondary. It's not the main fuel source in his zone, what appeared to be easy zone and steady zone. He was burning through way more, whereas compared to you, I think you didn't even actually start to tap into it until he just Did they run the got same to your. Uh, no, I believe it was slightly different speed. Uh, but even at the end of his zone two for yourself, you were, you were just tapping into carbohydrate, but uh, it was completely different for uh, Rick. who was yeah, well into his zone one. He was starting to burn some carbohydrate. So put, put yourself into a race. Typically, even though you're running at a steady effort or riding at a steady effort, for example, you're still, he's going to be burning through his stores way quicker than you would be. So yeah, of course, and the benefit of that being 
you don't necessarily need to t- take on any glycogen until, I mean, my heart rate, much. once I'd started burning, um, glycogen was like 135 or 140. Yeah, your aerobic zone uh, too. Where are you going? Yeah, so. Um, y- yeah, you. S- 138 to 153 beats per minute. Yeah, it's when the sort of uh, glycogen burning. So towards the higher end of that, yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose that leads on to the, the reason for doing this. It's not necessarily, it, it's obviously seeing how efficient you are at burning fat, but then what's the output from this? What do, what do we learn from, what do we, what do we take from it and action into move, moving forward? Sure, well, I mean, well, it depends on your goals, right? Because the thing I like so much about this test is it has a very broad application, right? Like mm-hmm. it can enhance endurance performance, like what we've just been talking about, um, but it will give you a more stable supply of energy throughout the day if you become a better fat burner. In a gram of um, fat, there's nine calories of energy. In a gram of sugar or carbohydrate, there's four calories of energy. So fat has twice as much energy, but because it's not as easy to access, um, most people don't, and they preference sugar. So if we can turn on your fat burner and make you a fat burner, you're just going to have a far more stable supply of energy throughout the day, which is nice if you have a job and kids and other things. The other benefit is, like you mentioned earlier, once you become a fat burner, it becomes very easy to stay lean. And I'm, I'm a pretty good example of that. I'm not super lean, um, but I don't do very much exercise these days, and I'm only two kilos heavier than I was at the Olympic trials. Now, arguably, I've lost Not a little bad. bit of muscle, <laughs> but still, like, um, it, it, the diet helps you to maintain a, a healthy body composition. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, like, everyone should be focused on health. And to me, byproduct True. of health is good performance anyway, right? Like, one of the best things you can do as an athlete is just be healthy so that you can be consistent. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And typically what this test also helps us highlight is, like I say, it's not just the hour of training you do per day, but it's also outside of that, the other 23 hours. And that's what we typically address. And certainly myself, when I have people come through, do the test, you know, I start to discuss what they're doing because that's typically why you're in the position you're in. It's not necessarily your training. It's obviously how you're treating your diet and, you know, how you're sleeping, how you're resting and managing stress. And so by highlighting that, bringing that to kind of to the forefront and maybe making some adjustments typically can encourage people to the also, you know, encourage being healthier and also being more fat adapted. That's a good point. A big mistake a lot of athletes are making is they're thinking that it's just training that makes them better. Big time, Like yeah. training doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like everything you do outside of training impacts your ability to do the training and then absorb it. And just because your training doesn't actually mean you're benefiting from it very much. And so the testing is cool because it catches when things aren't going well, but it also... It's very, I mean, you can see it. It's very graphical, right? And, and we can show you whether you're getting better, worse, or the same. It's, it's, it's very clear. And that drives confidence as well, right? Because a lot of the things that we say in here are very counterintuitive. We'll make you faster by having you train slower. We'll make you skinnier by having you eat more fat. Like, yeah. it's a very hard thing just for me to tell someone that and have them go, oh, yeah, sweet, that makes sense. I'm, I'm going to do it. But when we show them yeah. and, and we can prove it to them as well, like, we don't just say this is how it is like i can show you you yeah. know i can't bullshit you if you come back and it's not better like <laughs> yeah we can't dance around that like it, it it's clear yeah i mean it's massively worked for me for the from the first time coming to see you and um and i'd already heard about you know training at low intensity helps you tap into your fat resources and actually like will build your overall um aerobic fitness um, but that's one thing that I got out of the testing from the first time and, and from redoing it is understanding 
what that intensity is so yeah we, we you suggest doing most of it by heart rate is is a, a best way to do it but yeah you also talk about and f- like overlapping that with how it, you feel as it, well it's such a funny thing man because at the end of the day like everyone like so many coaches especially in super i find it really funny like people argue over what's better pace heart rate feel like yeah it doesn't matter right like yeah. what's important like what really matters is the intensity yeah. those are just ways to gauge intensity yeah now, power is also coming into play. I mean, we've used that on the bike for a while, but power is also becoming a measurement, and I'm sure people will start arguing about that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, the intensity of the exercise you do is probably the most important thing because it's what determines the physiological response and your recovery time afterwards, right? Yeah. And so the argument shouldn't be around whether pace is best or heart rate is best or feel is best. It should be around, like, how do I train at the right intensity for me? Right? So step one, do a lactate test, right? A lactate test is a fitness test. The outcome of that is we dis- determine your threshold. And from that, we calculate out training zones. Now, they can be in the form of feel, i.e. run easy, steady, moderate, hard, hard. Or they can be in the term of a heart rate zone. Or they can be a pace zone. We preference heart rate here because the people we work with have jobs, social lives, and a lot of other things fighting for their time. And like I said earlier, training doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? There's lots of things that act on it. Your body doesn't know the difference between training stress and work stress. Like it's all cortisol, it's all fatigue. It can't differentiate. And so if you have a whole bunch of stress coming at you from work or maybe you're going through a divorce or you're having financial troubles and at the same time you're trying to train hard for a marathon, like at some point something will give. Now, what's nice about heart rate, and a lot of coaches and athletes don't like this part about it, but I do, is that it responds to everything. It responds to those forms of stress. And when you are in those periods of stress, your output, i.e. your pace, will be down for a while. Likewise, in this environment, it's very hot. That's a a huge stress on the body. So you run a bit cooler than you would if you were running um, in, in the Gold Coast or something where it's cooler, right? So heart rate self-corrects. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't care about how you feel and you shouldn't care about pace. Of course you should. It's just that we preference heart rate as the main tool for prescribing intensity because it's objective. Like If I tell people to go run easy, run steady, run hard, like I've tried that, it doesn't work well because as we've seen with the lactate test, most people have a very warped sense of how hard they're working. I will say on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being easy, 10 being as hard as you can run, how do you feel? I say, oh, you know, I'm a 3. And then we take a finger prick and they're already at threshold, you know, like that's a very big disconnect of how they feel and how hard they're actually working. Yeah. And um, it's almost so, much more scientific with high heart rate is you can't. Uh, yeah. You're, it's less subjective. Um, yeah, It's an objective measurement, but yeah. it, it, it also responds to these variables. Pace is also really good. Right. But yeah. the issue that I have with pace is that, again, a, a bit like VO2 max, I call it a vanity metric because mm-hmm. like. Pace can lead you down a dark road because if you are assigned a pace that you have to run at on any given day, but you've had a really rough day at work or it's extremely hot, um, your body's under more stress, you push harder than you need to on that day, and then that carries forward, right? And so it, it doesn't take long before you end up running yourself down a hole. Now, that's not always the case, and I think for some athletes, running to a pace is very useful. Um, in our program, in some of the later stages of it, closer to the race, I just say run at race effort. And what I mean by that is you choose to run to a pace, a heart rate, a feel, whatever you like, but it's your opportunity to dial in what you think is right for you. 
Yeah. Um, because they all have benefit. And this is what I think is getting lost. Yeah. It's you know? almost like the, the diet one, which could be dogmatic. Yeah. Like this, it, it, it's like, no, you have to do it to feel. You have to. No, um, and there's not one right answer. Like yeah. what works for one person won't work for the other. And that, that's true for, for training. That's true for diet. That's true for everything. And yeah. what works for you now won't work for you necessarily in a year's time. Yeah. And that's part of the fun and part of the frustration is like it's always this moving target that you have to try and adjust and if you find something that works for you bloody use it right until it doesn't but like anything too i think it's important to understand that you know there's there's not one way to go there's there's lots of ways to go but some are higher risk than others and so again like i like heart rate because we're sort of limiting that risk um, and I think this, everyone just wants the silver bullet, don't they? They just want the, just tell me exactly what I need to do and how I can get better. And it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not as simple as that. And I think no. both with diet and with sort of training methodology, you need to see what works for you and just and go through that trial and error. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there's good, I mean, that's why the, the testing is beneficial too, regardless of the method of training you choose. Like this stuff just gives you feedback on any given day of how you're looking and how it's going and some days it'll be good some days it's not so good but it's feedback likewise i'm a big fan of something called a math test i don't know if you've ever done one but (laughs) that's an awesome way of tracking aerobic fitness as well because you know again coming back to things like you can be doing really good training but if that math test is not improving yeah that that's feedback that there's something else acting on you that's affecting the development of your aerobic system and i think it'll be good to explain that actually so that the math test is uh is from uh, a guy called dr phil maffetone that's right yeah. um who is an endurance uh coach or like he's a scientist kind of as well guru, obviously he's yeah. a doctor so but the the test and he's actually one of the biggest proponents of like a high fat low carb diet and low intensity training right so i was he one of the inspirations of you moving into this style of training so, or did you get onto him no, after so you it's really it? funny man like i started like i said in 2008 doing testing this and that we'd done it for a couple of years and we'd figured some stuff out. Like we'd figured out, you know, that, I mean, I knew anyway that lower intensity exercise was at the heart of um, endurance performance, like through my years of racing. But I didn't understand the, the food piece. And we started figuring out this low carb thing. And we were very early to the game on that front, I think, um, yeah. especially in Singapore. No one here was really talking about that. And um, I was the odd weirdo in the corner spouting this message. And again, like really just playing with it to figure out how it works. And then... I thought I was pretty clever figuring out these things. And then about two, three years into it, I read, I, I stumbled on his book and I read his book and I was like, damn it. Well, I just read that on day one. It would have saved me three years of work because basically what he was advocating is um, very similar to, to the conclusions that we'd come to, which is you want to become a fat burner. You want to do the bulk of your training at a lower intensity. You want to eat a lower carb, healthy fat diet. You want to get a lot of sleep and you want to prioritize for health and have performance be a byproduct of that yeah and uh yeah and he's i've heard him on a few uh few podcasts and everything but the the uh, math test is a great way to um to a, a litmus test of how you're performing on those levels and the basic of the test is you do a, a six kilometer run at a, a heart rate so like yeah. the bottom yeah. sorry is it the top so of your well so he, he uses a formula your called one, his 180 formula where you basically just take 180 of minus course. off your age and then you up or down based on a few parameters that he sets right and you yeah. guys can find that by looking on the website but 
But um, yeah. for the people that have done lactate testing, we just have people do it at their easy ceiling. So yeah. if your easy ceiling, for example, is 150, you run, again, it can be 6, 8K, it doesn't really matter. Um, we typically aim for around 40 minutes worth of running yeah. at um, that heart rate. And what you got to do is hold your heart rate even. So yeah. if you hold heart rate even, pace over time will decrease as a result of fatigue. Yeah. Right, and then what we're looking for are two things. One, what's the average pace for the entire run? Yeah. And two, what's the drop off between your first K speed and your last K speed? Yeah. In a person who's very aerobically fit, it'll be a very small drop, a matter of seconds. Yeah. Um, in people who are not so fit, it can be a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'll give you one really good example. A few years ago, I was doing a, a program for Standard Chartered Bank and we had one of you know, a few people down at the track and we decided to do a math test. And there was a British guy there who, if I was to race him, we would have been very similar. At that time, we were both in about 40 minute 10K shape. And we both uh, did, I, I ran it as well that day. And so we both did a math test. And for the first K, like he was running at his heart rate, I was running at my heart rate. And we were, we were within a few meters of each other for the first K. By the end of the, I think we did 6K, I had lapped him twice. So I was 800 meters in front of him. Wow, and this on, on, the math, on the math test, just around uh, running track. Just a climbing practice track, round and round and round. Yeah. I, I'd lapped him twice, which stands to that, that, basically what that tells you is I have a, a stronger aerobic. aerobic system than him, even though yeah. if we were to race, we're the same. So my argument to him was, dude, you know, like we've got to fix your aerobic system. Like if we fix your aerobic system, you're going to be a 35 minute guy, you know? Yeah. But he's like, nah, I like smashing myself. Like, so he's doing all, all of his training at just higher intensity, at yeah. like lactate threshold or it. just before it. Every time is, he goes and runs, he basically just runs as hard as he can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, so just to touch on that then, the, the lactate threshold testing, if you could just explain sort of the format of that and then the, you mentioned that like getting the heart rate zones is best do you, from the lactate threshold or is it best to get it from the fuel efficiency or a combination of the two lactate yeah, yeah. we determine the zones from the lactate test but jim yeah, yeah. explain the process yeah so you technically can do it from both though we prefer we preference lactate more so so the test itself unlike the fuel efficiency is actually an incremental step test so you've been through this you'll know uh, each stage is roughly five minutes long with a minute rest in between to assess your lactate and how it accumulates from once again low to high intensity. So the aim is to build your lactate concentration to threshold, which is defined as four millimoles in the blood. It's universal amongst us all. Uh, there are many theories around that, but that's the typical uh, gold standard. Uh, and once we you know, acquire a lactate above four, then we can end the test there and from there determine your zones back from that. As Ben, uh, ben said earlier, that's how we're able to gauge what is easy, steady, you know, moderately hard, hard and very hard to then ensure that when you go train and you put it to practice, you're actually way more black and white with how you spend your time as opposed to what is very common. Uh, people will just hit that kind of moral gray area and they kind of the black hole of zones, which is kind of zone three, which is moderately hard. Yeah. So that's the purpose of the test. And we can then make sure that you spend, like I say, your time better. Yeah. So, so the test is run, you'll start at like nine, 10 kilometers an hour and you'll do five minutes. Well, so for yourself, it was, it was nine for you because you're a fairly fit guy, though yeah. for most people, it can, it will vary based on and we use a 10k timing to kind of give a good gauge as to what is the right start and end speed yeah. uh, but it can vary per person but the aim is to make sure we get you to go from what is definitely a comfortable pace uh, where your lactate stays you know roughly around baseline which is defined as one millimole yeah. and then gradually let, allow it to build within a you know four to six stage sort of process so for you because you're quite a fit guy nine kilometers an hour on the treadmill is the start speed for you and we just went up by one kilometer but others it can start off at five six or seven it really does depend per person. yeah and so the outcome of that is finding out 
at the heart rate at which you hit your lactate yeah. threshold, which is four millimolars yeah. uh, in uh, in your blood, then you're then that that would dictate your zone. What zone would that dictate? Your where your lactate Ceiling threshold zone four. zone four. So that's the start of your zone four. Start of zone four. Yeah. Ceiling yeah. like that's basically where you cross from going yeah, being yeah, primarily yeah. aerobic to primarily anaerobic. Okay. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've booked, um, read, read the book 8020 Running. It's on my bookshelf. Okay. I have not read it yet. Okay. I, yeah. And it, well, I'm that's sure. Matt, Fitzger- Matt's, Matt Fitzgerald, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Fitzgerald. Um, tongue tied. And, uh, a lot of that is around, uh, you spend 80% of your training time in your aerobics so zones one to two and then yeah. 20% in, in three to four. And, and is yeah. that, um, a philosophy right? that you effectively, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't, break down those ratios but it's a pretty good ballpark yeah 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 i I can't tell you whether our athletes are doing 80 percent aerobic and 20 percent anaerobic no but but it's probably pretty close yes yeah somewhere in that region yeah so we structure it ideally to give you a good amount of time spent training aerobically i.e with oxygen so the zone one and two and then less time but still advocated you know anaerobically where you hit your zone four and you know zone five hard and sort of very hard effort um, just to ensure that you, you know, you improve your overall tolerance to lactate and make sure you clear it more efficiently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And so recommendations to be able to improve both then. So starting with the fuel efficiency, we've talked a little bit about around diet and, tra- and low training, but are there any specific actions people, if they are, oh, if I'll they're not in. on a, a high fat, low carb diet, they just, but they Can have I a healthy in? diet. I'll go first. Um, so there may be, you know, they're eating real food, but they'll eat a mixture of like rice and, uh, yeah, and, and vegetables and, yeah. so uh, and typ- protein. Typically what my go-to process to people is just to ask, what do you eat? Right. Cause a yeah. lot of people typically, and don't realize that they just have way too much sugar in their diet. And it's fortunately in this day and age, so much hidden sugar. And I so mean, I'll just we say, can look, pretty much say, if you cut 100% of your added sugar from your diet, it's going to do nothing but improve so your overall there's health. A, there's an interesting right? thing, once again, by Dr. Yeah. Phil Maffletone called, uh, an, uh, what, well, what's the name? Two-week test. Two-week test, that's the one, yeah. So you essentially go two whole weeks with zero sugar in your diet. I went through this process myself when I moved here. Ben was very kind to put me on that uh, to lose a few kg, and it definitely helped. But essentially, yeah, you go two whole weeks without any sugar. So we're talking no bread, rice, pasta, noodles, fruit, even you know granola. There's a long, extensive no list. Yeah. Uh, and they're a very small yes list, but essentially there's zero sugar. And what that will essentially do is by the end of the two weeks, pr- pretty much get you towards, you know, keto, ketogenesis and then make, allow your body to just prioritize fat yeah. entirely. And I, myself, I lost within a two week period, I think it was around eight kilos in body weight, yeah. which that wasn't entirely through fat, of course, water weight and so forth. Yeah. Cause this is the interesting thing. So you have like, was it like three grams of water or three milliliters of water? Same thing for every fat molecule and, oh, no, yeah, for every carbohydrate molecule. And, and it's one to one. So what people yeah. often you get very technical there, but uh, yes, yeah, that is yeah. And, but so effectively, what people see is like an immediate drop in weight. Yeah, um, but that's more off. just a, like losing yeah. losing yeah. water. Yeah, so I, I saw around about I think it was about a five to six kilo loss at the beginning in the first week, and then it slowly plateaued, and it was probably about one to two more in the second week. Yeah. Um, but still, just my issue because my background was basically the opposite to what it is now. I did nothing but high intensity training. Yeah, uh, you know, powerlifting, weightlifting, strength and conditioning that all I ever ate was sugar because I had to supplement that. And so my insulin was always high. I never enabled my body to tap into fat. So as a result, I stored a decent amount of it. And so when I took that away and my insulin finally came down, I was then able to metabolize fat and actually 
you know, lose a significant amount of weight, which definitely helped my running, which I then had to do because I had to do a half marathon. That was his first, like, my first KPI. Ever. Course, so if you're coming to work here, yeah, a, had to, we're changing your diet. B, you're going to run a half marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had four, four months to go from barely running 5K, which was scary to me at the point, to then running a half marathon, which, uh, for those of you wondering, was two and a half hours in Singapore with all the heat and humidity, which I was new to too, right? Because yeah. I'd never really ran in that kind of heat. And yeah. so, uh, but no, I enjoyed the experience. And of course, it got me hooked, right, from, the, from that moment on and i wanted to get better and improve my timing and of course become overall healthier and that i realized was the main thing for me i was 10 times fitter than i had ever been and it's yeah. just simply because i had some aerobic fitness and i was you know and, and so like even if you are having complex carbohydrate um like high gi carbohydrate like uh, as you said like things like music and stuff people will still want to eat even if they have that, but just cut out any added sugar. All the, We talked about Coke. You haven't had a Coke in four years or something. No, I'm literally like an Coke. alcoholic when it comes to Coke. Like <laughs> this month, September. Are we talking about the black liquid stuff here? By yeah, the way, yeah, yeah not like Coca-Cola. <laughs> no, Coca-Cola. Not, not, not just the steak. Stuff, the, the black liquid. But yeah, were, so I, I haven't had any two years this month. Right, okay. Like, so you're fully uh, on that. Uh, like, yeah. And, I, and I, if I have any, like that'll be game over. Like I'm a very addictive kind of personality. So I have yeah. to be a little bit careful with that stuff. Yeah, but I mean, so cutting that out, any like a, any sort of chocolate or, or sweet yeah, confectionery. Dark chocolate's all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I like love dark, but 80%, 85% dark chocolate. I mean, if, you, um, if you can just move away from all the processed foods, just look for yeah. foods that Don't humans need. haven't interfered with. Like yeah. food, uh, fruit and veg meat and fish nuts and seeds eggs like Organic. those things don't come in a heavily box. packaged plastic yeah. things they don't have a massive ingredient list they're just food if they get the foundation of your diet yeah. then if you have a little bit here and there of other things it's not the end of the world if you yeah. combine that with some good low intensity aerobic training eight hours of sleep and limit stress like you're going to be yeah, in a very, it, very healthy place. Yeah, and it's important yeah. to touch on too, once again, in this day and age, that access to food, certainly in Singapore, is easy, very easy. I mean, you don't even have to leave your house now. Someone will come on an electric scooter to your door and provide you with your food, right? So you don't even have to actually go out of your way to burn any calories to consume some. So <laughs> That's it, a good that, point. that I highlight to people a lot, which they typically laugh at because it's true, right? You don't even have to. So, And this is a sh why I believe Singapore, and I don't know if it's still true now, is actually second in the world for type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Typically world, because of this. Yeah, behind America. Uh, yeah, behind America because they just have, it's a, it's a small country. There's a hell of a lot of access to food here and you don't have to go out of your way to get it so and of course it's very high and refined you know sort of carbohydrate so it's, it's just about assessing what you're yeah it's just about assessing what you eat yeah and typically just picking on the you know the low-hanging fruit so to speak what's the easiest yeah. thing to remove i mean balance is key with everything we're not saying to have zero sugar in your diet per se um personally i recommend just to cycle it in and around your exercise because that's too, more like, where you, you justify you earn the right to have some sugar yeah. Yeah. as well. Like if you're a massive dude who's severely overweight, is pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, then I would argue with that person that they need a dramatic change. And for someone like that, doing a metabolic reset like the two-week test or going into a, a diet, like maybe a keto diet or a very low-carb diet, is necessary to kickstart the process. Yeah. Once you're back in a healthier state and you have a good fat-burning ability like you, having whatever Fruit. is not going to be such a big issue like yeah. if if you're burning 90 grams and we go to mcdonald's and you eat a big mac and i eat a big <laughs> mac like when you're going to deal with that yeah a lot better than i am so even though we're eating the same food the way our body is responding, responding internally is very very different but you've earned that right yeah you know so and, and so i think people are very short-sighted yeah, yeah. They, they, they always think that 
it's like this forever. But no, like you, you've got to like it, you've spent thirty years or whatever putting yourself into the shitty state. You now have to commit at least a few months, probably, to, to reset that. that, move you back towards your factory settings, yeah, and to then earn the right to have a bit more free play in what you choose to eat again. Yeah, and this talk, you talking about that just being able to deliver food right to your door and not have to <laughs> extend any energy to it's be able true to get though, it. Right? But it's a really interesting analogy because if you think going back to sort of hunter gatherer, we'd have to track Complete our food. Opposite. For, like we'd go, we'd fast for like a day or two because yeah. we're tracking food and we're doing low intensity no, endurance. Don't even go back that far, mate. Just look at like when I ask the question for most people, are your grandparents overweight? Most of the time, it's no. Yeah. For sure, there's some that are. Yeah. And then I say, well, what about your great-grandparents? And almost always, it's no. Right? That's not that yeah, 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 long yeah. ago, right? Years, but maybe. what's changed? Well, okay, let's look at the diet point of view. Like, a lot of people, like our great-grandparents, were farmers. Um, if they weren't, they were still eating very minimally processed diets. There was no McDonald's. There was no Starbucks. There was no 7-Elevens. There wasn't instant access to this really shitty type of food, right? Yeah. They just ate natural foods, Right? Exercise. Did they go to the gym? Did they have a PT? Did they come to a lab like this? No, no right? Manual labor. But they were active. Yeah. You know, they walked a lot more than we do. They weren't jumping on the travelator along, you know, the road. They weren't going up the escalator. They no, were walking Martins. stairs. They were walking more. They rode bicycles for transport. They yeah. played games for fun, right? Yeah. When you address the stress component, did they have stress? Sure. They had wars and depressions and lots of other stress. But I would argue that without the internet, they were living in a more calm time. And I think the internet, with all the benefits that it brought, has brought a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress, yeah. right? So wipe that aside. Then we look at sleep. Again, they didn't have TVs um, so readily available. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't binge watch Netflix. <laughs> they weren't looking at their phone right until they turned it off to, to go to sleep, right? And so odds are the quality of their sleep was better. There also wasn't the light pollution that there is now. And so just those four simple things meant that they were able to live a far more simple and healthy lifestyle than what most of us are today. Yeah. And it's not really any more complicated than that. I, I don't think that a company like ours needs to exist for health. Like, it, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's, it's just because of the prevalence of all these things, that makes it hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just to sort of recap on the uh, being able to improve your fuel efficiency, diet critical, cutting out all sugar, um, yeah. and, uh, and lower intensity training. And I think to just add to that, actually low intensity training fasted, even if yeah. you're not on a, um, yeah. a high fat, low carb yeah. diet, yeah. but Definitely. in the Good morning point. training without, like, cause you, yeah. you, the testing we do in, in the morning is always fasted, isn't yeah. it? Well, the, the testing. You yeah, do. I mean, it's usually just due to simple anatomy for the most part because a lot of people who eat soon before they exercise their body's got then two jobs to do it's trying to redirect blood flow to the stomach and intestines to process whatever food you just had maybe an hour or two before and then it's also trying to redirect blood flow to the you know the muscle and so typically you won't expect to be as efficient in that session itself so of course then hormonally insulin levels will likely rise if it's typically has any form of refined sugar in and when when you were sedentary at that point which as a result will put you in a slightly fat suppressed state when you then go and train regardless of the intensity of training at you're already in somewhat of a fat suppressed state so yeah. if you run fasted and you run at an intensity that dictates you to be able to tap into fat you're going to be in a real good place does it also if you eat a like, i'm thinking like if you eat a banana before you do it 
and because you're automatic you're putting glycogen into your body at the point that yeah. does it automatically Blood sugar goes switch up, insulin goes well, down and but does that switch your so for example my testing if i would it be different if i'd eaten a banana before starting rather than doing it fast yes yeah. so it does depend on the volume of carbohydrate you eat as as we've recently read that if you're eating anywhere i think above 200 grams of carbohydrate then yes you'll certainly be in a fat suppressed state but anything around about like the 30 gram or below which i think a banana would fall within yeah. it doesn't necessarily impede your overall ability to and burn keep fat in mind in something training. like a banana too comes with fiber yeah so, so it takes longer to process so yeah, it won't so, instantly so spike your blood sugar levels which probably wouldn't but, but it, again like I believe that if we, if you ate a banana and we put you on here, you would see a change. It might not be dramatic, yeah. but you would see a change for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe not to the fat burning, but potentially to, you'd see sugar coming up earlier. Yeah. Okay, great. And so secondly, when it comes to the lactate threshold, what are the best ways to be able to improve your lactate threshold? Well, there's two, two, two things, right? Like first thing is you want to improve your clearance. Like zone two is the magic zone for endurance training. I think most people want to do the bulk of their training there. And then yeah. some stuff just at threshold or just below threshold is going to help to push that up. But again, I, I don't think you need to do that in the short term. I, I think people need to structure their, their races into tra- or, their, or their year into training cycles and build them around sort of two to three really key races with a number of other races sort of plugged into that training cycle as part of the preparation. Yeah. And then that training should be progressive. So you sort of layer it as you build out your fitness, your fat burning, and things like that. Yeah, and to touch on that, the reason why we advocate zone two is typically because of the type of muscle fiber you're incorporating under that sort of intensity, because there's different types of muscle fibers within our muscles, you know, slow twitch and fast twitch. When you're around lactate threshold, you typically incorporate more fast twitch fibers to assist with the, you know, the stress and the process. Though that, it, it, you know, the issue with that is typically you're not able to, you produce quite a lot of lactate through those, using those fibers. It's only when you go to zone one and two, two primarily, you incorporate more slow twitch. They're actually where you can clear lactate better. And it's the slow twitch fibers that are going to be doing that for you. So if you can prioritize a bulk of your training there, as Ben was saying, yeah, you can really encourage lactate clearance to improve. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, so actually doing a like, high intensity training so like doing your um fartlek or doing your hill sprints or won't necessarily improve your um your lactate threshold it definitely can for sure but again it's a timing thing i don't think that's the kind of stuff you need to be doing all the time because it's very high stress and the more high intensity you do um the slower it will take to properly develop your aerobic system so again that's what i'm talking about when we we structure a training around the training cycle sort of lay down this aerobic foundation which also gives you the ability to recover more quickly from those types of sessions um your body learns speed really quick like a few few weeks of high intensity stuff and you'll really benefit from it if you have a foundation so i always say the analogy is like this like you don't you know if, if you want to build a house you don't go buy all the furniture and buy all the paint and the light fittings and stuff like that because you've got not, nothing to do with it yet, right? First, you've got to put down the floor, you've got to build the walls, put in the plumbing, do the electricity. Yeah. You've got to lay that stuff first. That's the low-intensity stuff. That's what that gives you. That's the foundation. Yeah. And then once that is in place and you've built that engine, then you benefit tremendously from doing the high-intensity stuff, yeah. which are the light fittings, the paint, the yeah. furniture, all the... Yeah, yeah. A nice looking stuff. So it's definitely good just in a constant. You need everything. Manner. It's just, yeah. you have to time it properly. Not outweigh it. Yeah. And I suppose that moves quite nicely on to, you've obviously got coaching business as well as the, as the testing. How many athletes do you actually coach? That's a good question. In the hundreds, 
Okay. Yeah, I, I don't actually know. I haven't looked for a while, but okay. um, low to mid hundreds. Yeah, mixture of runners and triathletes. Yeah, mixture of runners and triathletes. Some ultras, some program. Spartan athletes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So not just all typically endurance based. There's some Spartan athletes in there, which uh, we've recently come to work with too. So it's a good yeah, hybrid I mean, there. Which o- is good. OCR is uh, is definitely blowing up. We've had a had a couple of people on the podcast that are racers. Oh, um, nice. And so, um, what does a typical and, and yeah, what does a typical training program look like for, I mean, with an ultra runner, for example, someone, tra- someone training for a hundred mile race, like, um, yeah, how yeah. would you look at... Um, to, to be fair, we don't work with a whole lot of ultra guys. Like okay. we, we have probably maybe 20 people, 30 people running ultras. Okay. Most of them uh, are going to maybe about a hundred K. Yeah. Not many of them, just a couple of them are doing 100 milers and stuff. So that, that's not really our target focus. We tend to work more with like Triathlete. triathletes, sure. uh, Ironman triathletes, half Ironman triathletes and marathoners. Yeah. We have the, 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 the bulk of our membership are through marathon runners. Okay, so let's um, take that then. So let's take like um, someone that's, um, you know, like say uh, an hour 40, hour 50 half marathon runner and they want to, um, they want to take on a like a 330 marathon say or something yeah uh, well yeah. F- first step is i try and talk them out of having time goals because I, I just don't think they add any value yeah I, I think people get too worried about the outcome when they should really be focused on the things they're going to lead to the outcome see this is the thing that i actually i've never run a marathon before and it's partly because of that because <laughs> everyone so when you say oh, i do long distance running or whatever they're like oh what's your marathon time because yeah. that is a like direct indication <laughs> yeah. of like of performance and yeah, yeah it's I'm, really interesting mate because when i moved to my last coach one of the first things he drilled into me like i came to him and i like you need to get me into the olympic trials i need to win like get more top 10 so i win some more money it was all outcome 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 and he said mate none of that stuff matters those things are byproducts yeah. of our process yeah so the process is how you train how you eat how you recover those are the things that are going to drive performance looking at an outcome is like a rugby player standing on the field while the game is running and looking at the scoreboard yeah like there's no value in that right and so we've got to pay attention to the process. And the fun thing about that too, Scott, is it takes the pressure off you. So for me, like when I stopped worrying about those outcomes, like I just started enjoying my training again yeah. because it didn't matter. If I had a bad session, it's like, oh, well, I had a bad session. Like just this I'll have a better one This is one of the things I tomorrow. love about running to heart rate. Like I do all my training low, low heart rate and you, you post it to Strava and people are immediately looking, oh, how fast was that? It kind of just, it puts this caveat of like, I wasn't training for speed here. I was training like at yeah. a, my zone two level just for increasing aerobic fitness. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing though. Like I try and move a person's mindset away from the outcome because often they're limiting too. I've seen people come in with like a goal of running 3.30 and then because that's their goal, like that's what they run when I, I really think they could have run significantly better. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's quite funny. It's a bit like the Instagram guys. I heard that guys hold Instagram for a billion dollars. It was probably worth a hell of a lot more, but because they wanted a billion dollar company, that's what they sold for. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I did hear that. Your, uh, your, like, yeah. the boundaries of yeah, what you so, can achieve. So like my take is like, let that stuff take care of itself. Let's put your focus on the things that matter. Let's improve the quality of your training. And we do that by giving each person a training program and helping them structure the year. Our training programs essentially go through three phases. We, we lay down a base, which is focused on just getting in the habit of training, laying down that aerobic foundation, building out your fat burning, improving your technique, 
that type of thing. From there, we start to put a strength component into it. So strength training in the form of um, actual strength exercises, but also lots of hills. We do things like strength sets where we have people doing strength training within a run. And that's something we've tested in the lab and it, it actually works quite well. Strength training within a run. So yeah, is that so, like so for example, doing some pull-ups or push-ups? Not, during- not like that. Um, well, kind of like that, but with the legs. So the idea is like if I send someone out for a run for an hour, for example, and I tell them every 10 minutes do a 30 seconds of squats, like that hour run, even though it's an hour, and even though you might only cover 8K, feels like you ran a lot more because your legs are knackered from doing all the mm-hmm. all the exercise and then having to continue to run on them. So yeah. there's lots of ways that we can simulate like the later stages of a race without having to put someone at the 30k mark. Yeah. Right? So that, that's one way. And so that we do the strength component and then as the race day gets closer we do the race specific stuff. So, you know, lots of for the marathoners a lot more tempo and more zone three type of training um, in the form of tempo intervals, extended tempo running, and then a little bit of high-end hard running um, to to really, you know, bring up that fitness in the last few weeks. Yeah. But it just depends, you know. Every, everyone's different, and that, that's kind of the structure that we have for pretty much every program. The ultra yeah. guys I also have on a marathon plan as a base, but what I've been doing with them is throughout the throughout the program, depending on the length of time and the demands of the race, um, we do what I call big weekends. So we'll structure some like pretty massive weekends depending on exactly what they're doing, where you might do like three or four hours on a Friday, five or six hours on a Saturday, four hours on a Sunday. Like, yeah. To really sort of not only physically smash you, but mentally wear you out as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because an That's ultra, really like, yeah. you know, like you have to be strong to do an ultra, but the fitness you need to do an ultra versus a marathon, in my opinion, is not that dramatically different. Yeah. Where I think you have to be very good in an ultra is you have to be a hard bastard. <laughs> yeah. You know, because at some point it's going to get hard. You're not going to want to run anymore and you have to have a strong why and be mentally capable of pushing on. Yeah. That's the very reason I've never done one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're holding the intensity that you do in like a Olympi- uh, like a, or um, 70.3 for a <clears throat> must. I mean, have you done a 70? Sorry, you were just Olympic I, distance. I, I was a short course guy. So I always did the Olympic distance draft league. I did one 70.3 distance training with some friends, yeah. which I, I knocked out pretty quick, actually. Yeah. Um, but no, I never did. I'm considering doing one in the next couple of years, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you talk about for ultras doing consecutive days, though. That's actually rather than doing... I was supposed to be in uh, going to Borneo this weekend to do TMBT as a training session, which was 109K. But actually, you'd probably be better off doing 40, 40, 20 in three days as like a yeah. con- consecutive well, always, days training. Like whenever you run anything that's very, very long, like you're putting a lot of stress on your body. Like look at Elliot Kipchoge, right? Like he's probably running a marathon a day, right? In terms of volume, if you look at his total volume across the week. Yep. But he's not literally running a marathon at a time. Yeah. He's breaking that down into at least two sessions in a day, yeah. right? And what that does is it, it changes the load recovery balance and it improves the quality of each of the individual runs, right? Because he recovers a bit in between. Yeah, it yeah. also lowers his chance of getting hurt. Yeah. So I could put someone on a, you know, on an on a, on a ultra program and just have them run really long every day. But again, like for most people who have a job and kids and things like that, it's just not a very fun way to prepare for a race so rather give them a base level of fitness with a typical marathon training program the benefit of that too is they can still do the high intensity stuff and the the tempo stuff so they still have some leg speed yeah and then just at really carefully timed places we we inject these these bigger weekends which are 
they vary quite a bit actually depending on the type of ultra because i mean as you know an ultra is anything over 42k so yeah the distance varies greatly but so does the terrain so does the elevation um and altitude so you know like and how do you normally do you use training peaks as a program or what do you, how do you you track your athletes so um, so we have our own custom platform so yep. we build our own um yep. i'm in the process of redoing it actually yeah it's a nightmare um <laughs> But we have our own platform. So I no longer write training programs. It's all automated through algorithms that we've written based on test results. So I can generate a program to what I consider to be about 90, 95% of what I could probably write you yeah. from a quality point of view. And then instead of me having to spend an hour doing that, I have an hour free to then support it. So I yeah. can make tweaks to it manually. I can answer your questions. I can write blog posts. I can sit here and talk to you. Yeah. You know, I've got time to spend on the actual coaching and yeah, yeah. Um, that's how we're trying to prioritize. Like, I, I really want to use technology to um, automate as much of the things that I can automate at a high, high level yeah. so that I have the time available to actually do the things where I think people need personal help. Yeah, and give the advice around it. Yeah, because you, you, you're sense. very limited by what you can do if, you, if you're always writing training programs one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And so what most coaches do is they either have a template or... Um, they have a library and they're just dragging it in. And so, again, like that can be quite good, but I, I think we've done quite a good job at making a very personalized program um, through the use of technology. Yeah, excellent. Um, I'm going to run through a few quick fire questions to finish then, gents. Sure, um, sounds good. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear, um, hear any of like uh, books that you found inspirational to either your careers or just in general. Okay, so... I'll start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of books I've read lately. One, I'll start with the sleep one. So I'm reading a book at the moment. I'm not finished. It's called Why We Sleep. Ma Dr. Matthew Walker, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's terrifying. Like I, I just think everybody should read that book. Like I, I know sleep is important. I see how sleep affects your fat metabolism, and I know how it affects me as an individual. I'm an eight-hour sleep guy. Otherwise, I'm hopeless. But it, it's literally terrifying. Like I read last night in this book. If you have ten consecutive days of sleeping only, he says only seven hours. You're as impaired as you would be had you not slept for 24 hours. Yeah. Like that, that's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. And, you know, another stat that I heard on one of his podcasts, and I may misquote this, but I think he said that the athlete who gets six hours of sleep is 70% more likely to get injured than the athlete who gets seven hours of sleep. Mm. Interesting. Like, again, yeah. that's, that's yeah. pretty dramatic. And so I think that's a good book for everyone to read. Um, I think we're short-circuiting sleep in society these days. People just don't preference it for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very yeah. big and mistake. You, you talked about stress and cortisol and yeah. actually the lack of sleep is one of the biggest sort of yeah. causes of like that to Sleep, up. man, is like honestly like num one of the number one performance enhancers. Like a lot of people just really don't rank it high enough on their priority list. And, it, you know, it regulates everything. And yeah. It really regulates sleep too. So just as Ben said, one hour more can really transform how you wake up and how you go about your day and kind of stress and sleep they interlink right yeah. if you wake up uh, with lack of sleep you're typically more stressed and vice versa if you go to bed kind of more stressed you typically don't get enough sleep yeah. so it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing right so yeah. where you break that is kind of hard to figure out typically though it's usually if you just get a good 
eight hours sleep a night, you'll find that you'll be able to take on the day better and minimize stress. And of course, stress too comes in many forms. There's mental, emotional stress, which is obviously what we all deal with throughout the day. But then there's obviously physical stress, which is, of course, exercise, right? And yeah. so how you cope with that is, once again, very different per person, quite unique. Um, easier from a physical standpoint, you know, sleep is, of course, right up there. Um, but obviously, foam rolling, myofascial release and all that can typically help. But yes, yeah, sleep is definitely real important <laughs> yeah yeah very good uh any books you're reading at the moment jim or well, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest i'm a podcast guy myself but the millennials yeah, yeah. i'm a millennial <laughs> so the, I, mark manson's books I, I, i'm kind of hooked on a little bit so i read both of his books now uh, i don't know if you know who mark no, manson no. is it, uh, <laughs> it's, it's good uh you, it, i think he's the he was a worldwide bestseller so you should probably uh, you'll find his book if you subtle want art of not giving a subtle, fuck yeah oh, so that's yes, the first yeah, one yeah, everything is, is fucked a book about hope at the moment yeah. Yeah. what's the other one everything is fucked a book about hope so <laughs> he's, he's he's really upfront and honest about it but it's yeah. it's really cool how he comes uh, about it you know when it comes to in fact I think I read through his first book in about two days on the commutes to work and stuff. I was just reading through chapter to chapter. I mean, and they're not big, yeah. but he really just, just comes across in a different way to most people. He's really easy to read and he just says it how it is, you know, and it yeah. kind of makes you reassess things. And once again, makes you question why you typically give a fuck about things in life. Right. And just kind of, <laughs> and it, I guess it feeds into that stress thing. As yeah. Well, big time. Like yeah. he just, he just addresses the whole, like we typically just stress over the stupidest of things yeah. and how we really should just kind of reassess and just, live a happier life to some extent so yeah that's typically why we but like i say i'm a millennial so i don't read and many so books. podcasts then you mentioned you're more of a well actually i like consumer. yeah well i typically even though they don't upload regularly i like the nike uh podcast it's actually through spotify i, I listen to that every now and then because they have people like matt fraser on who's a crossfit athlete you know i, I like to typically get a, a listen in on their insights as to how they train yep. they offer good insight into sleep too and stuff i think they had ariana huffington on there as well so they have some real cool people who come on but it's all sport related right and they yep. really advocate sleep and they have uh you know specialists come on who talk about that um but you know i also typically uh like gary v but you know he's nothing to do with what we're talking about here he's just oh, or an yeah, entrepreneur I yeah. yeah i mean he's I'm a he's a, a he's, he's like a, a black and white kind of personality i know ben's not he's a mobile kind of person, yeah 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 like, but i mean i he's great, i like man. how he's kind of just upfront and honest too and his, he says it how it is and you know he's not you know he doesn't beat around the bush right i mean so. he was one of the inspirations of of, uh, of us starting this podcast oh really right? nice yeah and yeah, um, he does everything right yeah no and it's um, hit podcast yeah just to um you know have an idea just follow through with it rather mm. than um and i think the first time we met i talked about wanting to get you on the podcast it's yeah. like two years later but we're here <laughs> yeah, now we anyway it. ben do, do you listen to podcasts at all ben or oh every day man yeah I, I love them as well yeah anytime i'm commuting or driving on a train yeah. I'm listening to something, What's your but Any you good can question. Well, I, I tend to dive down rabbit holes. So if I get interested in a person, like I would just search them and I will listen to everything. So like I've been this through a Matthew Peter Atiyah affair, uh, you know, I've been through Matthew Walker. I'm listening to a guy um, called Jason Freed at the moment. I've been listening to every podcast he's ever been on. He, he founded a company called Basecamp and he's basically speaking out against Silicon Valley and how you don't need to raise money and you don't need to work 80 hour weeks and yada 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 yeah so it's not really aligned with um, yeah I've heard it's like a project management software yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah he, he yeah. runs a company called Basecamp exactly yeah. um, but I tend to agree with that philosophy because one of the challenges that I have in my work is like stress right people yeah. have stress it dramatically affects performance yeah. and so part of what I want to do with our program and we're writing a whole bunch of content for this for our, for our new platform is to help people work better as well and to, to prioritize and to focus better so that 
when they go to work, they actually get shit done. Yeah. And then they go home, they have time to actually do their training, spend time with their kids and have their family life to, to really get more. Because so many people are just in meetings and answering WhatsApp and just doing like, on present. social media and just not at all present yeah. and just wasting their time, in my opinion. So part of the coach philosophy is about, um, you know, we're quite holistic. And so yeah. I'm always looking for ways to um, sort of help people with that side of things as yeah, well. That's really interesting. I mean, having that harmony between work, family, and 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 um, and in your training and uh, and overall health and well-being. And I we we talked about it a bit on the podcast before. I consider it like a bit like a tripod, right? There's sometimes that certain parts yeah. can dip down, but you need to keep it in some balance. degree of balance yeah. for it to for it to stay up. Right? Yeah, and I think in life you have phases, right? Like you know, when you're younger, you tend to have more career focused. You know, you don't have kids yet, and you know you can focus more on career. Then in your 30s, you tend to have kids and whatnot, and you know the focus goes a bit more on family, and then you know things change, and I think that's fine. But I I, I tend to agree, like. You have to have a certain level of balance, otherwise you're just going to crash and burn or you're not going to be very happy. And that's the sad thing, right? We have yeah. one life. Like, shouldn't we all try and do work we like with people we like and live a relatively happy life? Yeah. I mean, that's that's my motivation. And this is the thing I try and do is uh, with all of those things in play, I try and combine, like my, my commute is my exercise. Like yeah. I run to work every day or run back and so try and cram that's that in. So such it's a sweaty bastard. When you got here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is that something you advise when you're coaching yeah. people about how to like fit For it sure. in around Whatever their works. days? Like, yeah, because this is the thing, like everyone's different, right? And this is the one thing that's hard about my job is, is kind of reverse engineering them. And if that is something that works and you're happy to do it, then go all in on it. But, you know, I, I could have someone else come in and say the same thing and they're like, no chance. Yeah. I can't do that, right? So, so don't have a shower in the office. Yeah, no I, like, I so it. just work with what best, right? Yeah. But just don't go, you know, overstressing yourself to try and make something like that fit in if it just doesn't work. At so the, trial and error. At the end of the day, man, I always but, say you don't get fat by going to McDonald's once. Yeah. right like you are what you repeatedly do so so long yeah. as you're showing up relatively consistently and doing your best like over a long period you're going to have a pretty good outcome right i think people get caught up in the this instant gratification you know phone mentality where everything is instant right yeah and they forget that actual meaningful progress takes time mm -hmm. yeah right you don't become the ceo of a company straight out of school or rarely you know you don't just meet your wife on the day you want to meet her yeah. You, you know, you, you don't win an Olympic medal without a whole bunch of prep, right? And, and people forget that now with Amazon shipping daily and <laughs> Netflix binge watching and all yeah. these things. And I, th I think it's really quite a, quite a problem. So again, we're always trying to pull people back and say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, slow down, be more meaningful in what you're doing, optimize to not just training, but your nutrition, your lifestyle, how you choose to work. Like I'm always trying to play with things like that to see how we can become better as a company as well, how we can become more efficient and then how we can teach people through our programs to do the same things that we're doing. And are we awesome at it? No, man. Like we're a work in progress, right? But yeah. you got to try. I really like that. Meaningful progress comes a day at a time. Like it, it's, yeah, the, the instant gratification in this world is, is, is a stress adder. It's like people want stuff too instantaneously. It's just, everyone's anxious. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Everyone's always anxious and they're just There's doing no too much. Like yeah. you just got to get good at saying no. Like there's a quote that cycles in my head now. Like Tim, I think it was Tim Ferriss. He said, you have to be okay with small bad things happening. Yeah. And, it's true. Like in my experience, like, you know, I deleted Facebook. I don't use Facebook anymore. Instagram, I only check occasionally on my computer. Um, I'm toying with the idea of getting email and WhatsApp off my phone. 
I haven't had the balls to do it yet, but I can see it coming in the next yeah. year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things, they just make you calmer. Yeah. Like, you just don't need to know what's going on. I, I'm, I'm getting analog again. I'm thinking of getting a newspaper subscription. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm thinking of really just dialing it down because the, the, the more I simplify my life and the less connected I am, um, the, the more, more calm and happy I feel and the better father I am. And yeah. I, I just think it's better. Now, it's funny that I say that because I run a, I, I don't know if I call it a tech company, but the technology side of what I do is very important. Um, but I think these things are tools, just like a heart rate monitor, right? You don't have to be a slave and they should work in your best interest. They shouldn't be suckering you in to steal your life for advertising dollars and things like that. And so I think people just need to be more mindful of this and need to make smarter choices. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, okay. And, and best kit you've, uh, you've bought for under a hundred dollars. Oh. Good question. Or oh, under $100. What do you classify as kit? Actually, I, I would give a shout out for this because this <laughs> thing has been awesome. Go, what is it? It's just a clean canteen, but it's insulated. And so, like, it keeps my cup of tea warm for bloody hours. Right. On the flip side, when I'm going to a training session or whatever, you throw some ice in there and it keeps it cold for literally days, I think. Clean canteen Yeah, bottle. it's just, just really okay. good. And it's, Next. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 40 bucks or something. It was money well spent. No. So I don't know if that classifies yeah, as kit, absolutely. but it's probably like uh, yeah, the only absolutely. thing that comes to mind. I thought actually. you were going to have to say, talking about heart monitors before, I thought you were going to say a heart monitor. Well, monitor. I mean, the, okay, so on that note, if I'm talking to a client or, or an athlete that I'm coaching, there's yeah. two pieces of kit that I think everyone should own. One is a heart rate monitor. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a fancy one like this. It can just be a basic one you get from Decathlon. Yeah. Um, the second thing is a foam roller. I think those two things, like... They just give you yeah. a very good return on the money you spend on them. And I think, yeah. again, a lot, a lot of people are just getting hung up on shit that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, they worry about, you know, these fancy recovery boots and these um, fancy bikes and this and that. Like, it's still the engine, right? Yeah. Those things can come later, you know? Like, people ask me about altitude training. Should I be altitude training? I'm like, well, you, you can't run a 50-minute 10K. Like... Yeah. Like, let's get the basics, right? And you've only been training for three months. Let's get the basics, right? Let's lay down a bit of a foundation. And then, you know, maybe we consider some, some IHT or something like that. But, you know, like, walk yeah. before you can run. Yeah, it's great advice. I've got two foam rollers and it's one of the things that it's I can a never... It's a love it my, But I can just never fit it into my day. Like, That's I'm your just, brain because it hurts. Yeah, You're thinking, no, I yeah, don't want to do it. I don't want the pain. It's forcing yourself to do it. Yeah. And it's self-inflicting pain rather than yeah. getting a massage or it's someone else inflicting it on you. Yeah, but I mean, I if, if you have the means to go get a massage, get a massage. Like, yeah, yeah. that would be my preference too because I, I have yeah, this love-hate thing with a foam roller. I, yeah. I, I hate rolling on them, but yeah. they kept they me in decent condition when I was an athlete to be able to perform. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, um, there's these massage, massage guns now too, right? Albeit it's not under $100, I think they're Yeah, they're pretty punchy. Yeah. Uh, but if you can afford one and justify it, they're, once again, if you use it right, can be quite useful too. Um, yeah. So that's always good. I'm racking my brain as to what mine would be for under $100, though if I was to make it, you know, sport-related. My last half marathon, I ran a, with a camelback on. And that was a real last-ditch decision because I had never ran with one before. And I th- have to admit... Well, no, it's a, it was, well, it was a kilo, so it, that's nothing to me, right? Like, I'm, I'm just a short and stocky guy. So, um, but no, running with that actually made my life 10 times easier in the race itself. Just not having to stop, keep a rhythm, uh, hydrate with all the salt I needed, and, and it was just way more feasible. That, yeah. and maybe a blender, actually. Like, now I'm thinking of it. Like, having a blender at home 
is real practical for me just because when it comes to eating right in the morning it's so simple to do just throw in the ingredients you need blend it up and take it to work well if my blend didn't cost under 100 bucks that's for sure. yeah i've got a nutribullet one i'm pretty sure <laughs> okay. it's more than that but you can get well, I mean, 100, blend, 100, as long as it blends it blends right yeah, like, it doesn't yeah. need to be fancy once and, again and so, so what do you, do you go for like smoothies frozen berries yeah protein so shake? to be honest it typically like i say it depends on what i have throughout the day like let's say i've got a morning run then typically what i have afterwards will have some form of like carbohydrate in. I guess this ties back in what we've been saying, but it's fruit related, right? So yeah. berries are great for because they're high in antioxidants to help counteract inflammation. So yeah. blueberries are the common go-to for me. But I typically have a frozen banana. I cut that up and have that in the freezer so I can just plonk a couple cubes in. Um, and then, yeah, of course, protein powder. Half an avocado is always good. Makes it nice and creamy. And of course, just water. Yeah, yeah. I try to avoid any other nece- unnecessary sugar. Just try to keep it fruit-based. Milk, of, I do try to avoid actually because you'll find there's a lot of hidden sugar in there that I don't necessarily need. But no, I think yeah. a blend is real practical because it just takes a lot of, you know, all the angst out of getting up and trying to plan what you need to eat sometimes. And you can yeah. still get what you need. Yeah, I think back to your about minimizing stress. I, one thing I like about having a pretty regimented diet is because it takes the thinking out of it. Yeah. It's like Mental I pretty fatigue. much eat salads for <laughs> breakfast and dinner, as right? As you can hack it. Tuna yeah. in there, I am all about taking the thinking out of everything. Like yeah. I, I wear the same clothes every day. Yeah. Well. I variations of the same clothes. Yeah, you know, yeah. The yeah. Same same stuff I do wash them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Any decision I can automate Minimal. through system, like I will do that. Yeah, because yeah. there's a concept known as decision fatigue, yeah. Yeah. and you waste so much energy. I deciding. truly believe in it. Yeah. So anything you can do to make fewer decisions I think it's a good thing yeah Yeah. Um, closing question gents so um, I really like to ask this around things you're most proud of both professionally and personally what what was your proudest personal and professional moment I've got to tell you I'm pretty proud of my kids I've got three-year-old twins so they they keep me pretty busy and every day like I'm just blown away by what they do like Last week, my, my boy did a tumble turn in the pool, which I thought was pretty rad because I couldn't do a flip turn when I was three. Yeah. So that made me pretty proud. And then my girls just started her ballet classes and you see her and they're trying her best. And, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a great age as well. And professionally? Professionally, honestly, like my proudest thing about what I've done professionally is probably that I've played by my own rules. Like I've never had a job. Like I came out of high school. I started racing. I raced because that's what I wanted to do. I was fortunate that some companies got behind me and supported me on that journey. I then came to Singapore because I wanted to come to Singapore. I started the company. It's been hard. Um, but I think I've made a difference in, 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 to some people here. And, and I've been able to do something that I love with people that I love. Um, and I think that's been pretty awesome. So I think that's probably what I'm proudest of yeah. professionally. Yeah, yeah. Definitely done a here in singapore you've really like changed the way a lot of endurance athletes here think about training and think it's you've made a big impact on the sport thanks here, mate so i appreciate that it's done a great job yeah and, and jim for you sir oh well you know what like professionally i would have to I'm, I'm still early days right like i'm not that old being 24 years of age so i haven't i've got many years to come so yeah. I, um you know what the fact that i'm actually putting my de- degree to use is of course one of those <laughs> yeah yeah that's like, few and far between a lot of you'd be surprised a lot of people typically go into do a degree and they don't actually end up getting a job in that same profession yeah. right and so the fact that i'm able to do that in a country i never thought i'd actually be living in and working for such a great company is probably one of the greatest achievements thus far yeah, but, yeah um, that's you know, amazing um yeah. and personally I, yeah personally 
Oh, God, you know what? That's kind of hard, too. Um, I'd say when I was growing up through my early teens, I was very involved in, like I say, individual sports, and motorsport was my main focus. Um, having my father at the point, you know, being a you know mechanic himself and knowing everything about cars, we'd be typically racing nationally around the UK and, uh, you know, entering national championships and typically winning those, not on the, like, braggy basis, but being able to compete with, you know, teams that had tenfold the amount of funding and yeah. uh, have them come up and ask like what our setup is and kind of find out why we were doing so good was probably one of my proudest moments the do fact you that own we a could... car in singapore no definitely not <laughs> no um it's different in the uk for sure but no I, would, yeah. I mean i was racing guys twice my age sometimes you know they're in their high yeah, 20s wow. i was 16 at this time and uh, we were just funding ourselves he, he knew everything about cars being you know 50 plus years of age with amount of experience he had but yeah we were able to compete quite seriously with these teams and having them come over and kind of find out what we we're about was always quite a, a good moment for us because we were really co quite competitive which yeah. was always kind of my proudest moment you know i'd we, say i actually someone said to me the other day like what do you think is the uh the the fittest um athletes or sport and someone actually mentioned motorsport like and i was like no I was yeah. like, give me a give me a tour de france cyclist so, any day of the week well here's but, the thing like jensen button for example he's he, Ironically, actually, he grew up in the same town I did. He went to the same schools, and he's obviously an ex-professional, you know, Formula One driver, world champion, and so forth. He's, he's actually a very good triathlete, yeah. yeah so, really but the fitness level yeah, these guys need is, because it's insane, right? They're putting themselves through, it's like, essentially like a, a fighter pilot, right? They yeah. have so much G-force to, you know, sustain for a long period of time. It's It requires a lot of energy. And yeah. so, these guys have to be lean and mean and be able to put this car through the paces for an you know, extended period of time. They dehydrate significantly. I mean, they come into Singapore soon, right? Yeah. The heat and humidity here is crazy. Imagine being sat in a cockpit whilst trying to sustain that and fight this, you know, sort of G-force you have wow, to go through. So awesome. it's a real, you have to be seriously fit. And when I did that, actually, ironically, I didn't tell Ben this, but I actually did do a decent amount of, you know, aerobic-based training before I found the weights in the weight room, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, um, but no, one of those, I wouldn't say they're the fittest, that's for sure, but they're definitely up there. You have yeah. to have a respectable amount of fitness. What would you say were the fittest athletes in the world? I don't know, man. That's a, that's a hard question. It, like, I, I sort of, yeah. when you ask me that, my, my initial reaction is like yours. It's cyclists. Define that, fittest. That sport is crazy. But then, but then that's the thing. thing. Like, then next comes to mind is something like cross-country skiing yeah. or something like that. Like, that's not a sport I'm at all familiar with. I spent my life chasing summer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I believe they have some of the highest VO2 maxes on the planet. They're well known um, as having them. Yeah, you know, they, they they're spending a lot of time at altitude. They they train Killian Jornet. Like he's probably a good example of someone who'd be yeah crazy fit. Yeah, yeah I was, it's, it's I was reading the Endure book, um, and uh, and yeah, they talk about cross country skiing, skiing as being one of the endurance bases. We talked briefly about it, um, but um, uh, CrossFit and OCR, yeah, is, see, I think is all. All-round athletes, they're probably the best. Yeah. And when you think about anaerobic, anaerobic. Yeah, that's what came to my mind. for sure. CrossFit yeah. guys, they're going to be far more heavily weighted on the anaerobic. Well, well you I say see. that. Yeah. You, see, you see that the CrossFit has evolved over the years. Initially, yeah, true, when it came in, now it's definitely, they're throwing in some real they do like spanners in the works. They do like half marathon runs. Yeah, they're they're right. like, okay, they're doing serious. ignorant then. Yeah, that's not my... Yeah, like for example, like say Matt Frazier, for example, like he's one of those most elite now, right? He's now four-time, I think, CrossFit champion. But what they go through is in my opinion definitely probably all-round fitness i'd say with strength power aerobic and anaerobic it's real yeah they're yeah. up there that's for sure I give a shout out to triathletes as well though triathletes are fit yeah, yeah. just no strength no. comparison 
because no, they've got to swim over the shoulders. They're, they're, they're pretty strong triathletes. Okay. Yeah, but I might, the one I'm amazed by are mixed martial artists. They are, I believe, BJJ some of the best out there. Oh, definitely, yeah, I agree. Just the type of, yeah, so Muay Thai from yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, but they're, they're, they have to do a lot of aerobic training around it as well. And yeah. to sustain for 15 to 25 minutes that level of intensity. There was this really cool show a long time ago now in New Zealand called Clash of the Codes where they basically get all the people from like rowers, triathletes, like mixed martial artists, cyclists, like just people from all the different codes of sports yeah. and pull them together to do all these different types of races. Super interesting. Yeah. And, and the triathletes actually did probably, I think they won most consistently because they were so diverse. Yeah. And this was back before obstacle course racing was a thing and stuff like that. But, you know, it would be interesting to throw them in the, in the mix and see yeah. how that changed the dynamic. But that was a cool show. Maybe we should start it in Singapore. I would like to, uh, yeah, cool. yeah. Excellent, gents. Look, appreciate the time and uh, fascinating, really, really fascinating to understand um, everything that we can do to help improve our overall um, aerobic ability. Um, look forward to getting you guys on again in the future. But um, yeah, with that, thanks for joining. You yeah. bet. Thanks, Thank Scott. You. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Rick, how you doing, sir? Yeah, good, Scott. How you doing, mate? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm in uh, in sunny Tokyo right now. I'm quite happy to be out of hazy Singapore. It sounds like it's pretty grim on the ground and the little red dot. Yeah, you're not missing much here unless you're a unless you're a big fan of treadmills. <laughs> yeah, have you been smashing out treadmill runs then? Have you? Uh, no, I haven't even got that excuse now. I've uh, <laughs> it's it's been uh, it's been a bit grim the last week, so. Uh, hoping it clears for the weekend and we can get out for a bit of training. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I have been um, I've been getting out on like evening runs around around the the palace in Tokyo. Uh, nice so I've been... you caught up with uh, Tomo San. Yes, yeah, I caught up with Tomo San last night. We um, we uh, recorded a quick uh, podcast as well. It's going to be a, it's kind of follows on from uh, the first podcast that we did. It's actually almost five or six months ago so covers his exploits in um the Barclay as well as he's like knocked off a few more hundred milers so he's been a pretty busy man since we last caught up but he was on legendary form as per usual um but yeah it was it was also good to to um to catch up with the coached guys as well how did you um yeah how did you enjoy the chat with them yeah, I thought that was great. Um, like we were saying just before, it's, uh, it's a shame my results were pretty decent, but yours were just outstanding. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, I thought it was really interesting and, and, and covered a lot of the stuff I talked about with them when I was there doing the testing myself and a lot more, to be honest. And um, it's, I, what I really like is that they're not too dogmatic in their approach. Um, they're open to different ways of thinking and approaching things. And just that idea of it kind of all balancing out and training for health, not performance, and then the performance benefits will follow. Yeah, Ben's a really impressive dude, right? I mean, he is obviously was a was a pro athlete, and it is the running theme that we've spoken to a lot of people out about. They they turn their kind of sport, their passion uh, into their business, and uh, and I like the story about how he set it up. Uh, but I do also like the fact uh, of his ethos around around coaching and training. And I mentioned about you know if you were to be training a marathon athlete and they wanted to you know, do a 
3.30 or whatever, and he just said that would be the first thing I'd tell them to do, just forget about time. Let's The time is the outcome from getting the fundamentals right. And I actually yeah. agree with that in the in the business world as well, right? But, you do everything right as a business and or if you if you get all of the processes right and you're you you got the right structure the right people on order then the outcome is the revenue you know it shouldn't be like focusing on the focus on the like just with the goal in mind just get everything um get uh, the the goal will happen if you get everything else uh, else right and with training that like you get your nutrition right you get your sleep right you 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 get your training right and then the results will come yeah it's, it's funny because i follow um that guy, Tom Evans, the UK runner who won, um, what did he win? CCC last year, I think. Um, yeah. And he trains quite heavily with a training group in the UK. And their motto and, and one of his kind of most commonly used sort of hashtags on all his posts is process, not outcome. And yeah. it's all about just put the, put the basics in place and the results will follow. Um, whereas if you're going for it, if you're setting yourself a goal and trying to work towards that, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I really recommend anyone to actually go and um uh, and do the testing, and and I, and I think the the reason for doing it is just setting those training zones. And we talked about you know there's many different methods of um, of working out what your zones are, whether it be to feel, to 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 pace, or to heart rate. Uh, you know ben um he recommends the heart rate and i actually uh, it's worked for me i'd recommend it to other people as well but it's uh yeah it's, it's a good thing, thing to to, to go, go and do, do. i wish is, i wish it correlated uh, you know being extremely fuel efficient i wish that correlated to to being uh, uh, an efficient athlete as well <laughs> it's not it's not direct i wish I, I was as good as the the test it pointed out but you know that's down to the the diet I have, but yours was phenomenal, mate. Yeah, you're. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the the sort of guinea pig process of doing the before and after because yeah, the sort of training block got um yeah life got in the way of the training block we were working towards. It often happens, but yeah, hopefully we can go back and and try and do that again. But yeah, I thought it was it's just interesting, and particularly what he was saying about um the the low intensity training being just your absolute fundamental to everything else and how. Because a lot of what you hear is, you know, you need, you know, you need to do your your mixed sessions every week of, you know, long, slow distance, intense speed workouts, hill training, and all that. And obviously, they all have a place. But, but that theory that actually you're just building your aerobic base is the absolute fundamental. And I think he had a quote where he said that speed speed comes quite quickly, um, and that if you put put in a, a decent training block around speed, you'll get the results quite quickly as long as you have that base in the first place. Yeah, and look, what when you're doing ultra distance stuff, then it actually, uh, yeah, doing it at low pace and building that aerobic base is the most important thing. I mean, as you move into doing stuff like OCR the, or obstacle course racing or the more intense stuff, is where uh, you do need to sort of ramp up the um, the the speed work and the fartlek and the hill training, uh, like the the um, yeah running running hills, but um. Yeah, no, I was uh, really, really Neither has got the chance to test it out at uh, TMBT. Yeah, that was frustrating. Um, yeah, we both had to pull. Um, life has got got in the way for for both of us. Um, yeah, you're you're expecting your second very soon. I've been traveling around the world for work, and uh, but it was. Um, we had a few friends that raced that did did pretty well. Mate Jules like came in the sort of just around the top twenty, and. Um, 
yeah, it was a. It sounded like a, a tough race. It had. Um, I saw a post from uh, Jeremy Ritchie, who's, um, who's one of the top trail runners in Hong Kong. Came came fourth and just said that it was pretty brutal. He came in around fifteen um, fifteen hours forty three. Um, and Alessandro Sherpa as well. He um, he finished in the in the top three. Uh, he's he's based in KL, right? The fr- um, the Italian he's dude. Based here in Singapore, but we one way or another we need to get him on the pod. We absolutely do, yeah. He's um, yeah, he's a bit of a machine, and um, yeah, I know that um, David uh, Sempat had to uh, the uh, part of the North Face Adventure Racing team had to pull out due to the same injury that he had in UTMB, which was um, which was a real shame. Um, yeah, but I saw that the guy Milton is it Milton Amat that won, who I think he's super strong. I think that's two years in a row that he's won, and he's a local boy. He's he's I think he's from uh, Saba. Um, and uh, it was pushed kind of all the way to the finish by by one of the Japanese runners, but uh, came out on top again. Yeah, and no, that was a great run. And also you had um, Safri Sumping, who's actually part of the North Face Adventure Racing team as well. He's based near Kota Kinabalu, and uh, he came fourth in the um, in the fifty. And uh, and then yeah, Harry Jones, the dude from um, that's based up in. Uh, uh, based up in Chiang Mai, he he. I don't know why he raced the thirty. That's interesting. I thought he looking at his looking at his online. I think it was he just because he he'd finished fifteenth at UTMB, whatever it was, ten days, twelve days before. Um, yeah, and and unlike David, kind of I think I think kind of decided probably quite sensibly not to jump straight back into the the ultra stuff. But yeah, he, won, he won the thirty k. Um, by quite a way as well. It's like forty minutes ahead of uh, ahead of second place. Um, yeah, it was a decent yeah, pace. Someone else we want to get on the on the podcast soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, like other stuff that's going on in the endurance world. I don't know. Like I, I don't know if you. There was just a post recently about um, a uh, a female swimmer who uh, who just crossed the um, the English Channel four times. Sarah Thomas, her name is. Uh, it took her 54 hours to um, to swim um, 80 miles, like back and forth across the channel. What a legend! I think she's uh, recently um, she was a cancer survivor as well. She um, uh, yeah, she had breast cancer a few years back. What, what an inspirational story! Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, it's the sort of thing that you know you're talking about with Ben that the ultra endurance stuff, perhaps in the long run, not good for you, but it is uh, it's pretty inspiring when you see it done. Yeah, crazy, crazy inspiring. We've um, we've got uh, so we've got Thomas Sun coming on a couple of weeks to give us everyone an update on what what he's been uh, up to, and he's got a he's got a crazy diary for for twenty twenty. Um, yeah, um, interested to to share to share that. Um, yeah, and again, um, David Lloyd, the guy behind um, Vietnam the Mountain Mountain Marathon. Marathon. That's on this weekend, actually. Um, and uh, Vietnam Jungle Marathon, which I've done, and now have a trail one as well. Um, but he's also a sort of mad keen cyclist himself. So the goal there is to uh, try and get him on in the next uh, next few weeks if we can. Yeah, yeah. We've also got um, a guy called Alan Grant, who's uh, who's one of the uh, the the top age group cyclists in uh, in Asia, based in Singapore. 
he's coming um yeah recording with um with him in a um in a week or so's time as well so we've got some uh, got some good ones lined up um and uh and yeah you've got some good stuff lined up as well mate you've got a uh, got, got a baby on the way very soon so uh yeah, yeah just uh, starting to train that sleep sleep deprivation <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah we need to get I, I know it's difficult to sort of plan any races when you're uh, when you've got a baby arriving because your life is about to be turned upside down mate and you know <laughs> you know it um it's all good fun yeah no i'm uh, i'm i'm gonna be racing the wilson um yeah in, in lieu of tmbt i'm i'm heading up to hong kong to run the wilson rally with a with a few mates um which um which I'm looking forward to. I'm trying to actually trying to get a place on an Oxfam Trailwalker team as well. If anyone knows of anyone, um, then I've uh, yeah, I've, I've already reached out to the Hong Kong Trail Running Group. I want to want to try and squeeze onto a sub 16 team there, or potentially sub 15. But um, that might be a bit of a push. But uh, yeah, I'm keen to, keen to get back up to Hong Kong again soon. Good stuff, mate. Nice one, Mr. Stockfish. I will um, hopefully see you um, see you on Saturday for um, for a run if the uh, if the haze has been blown away. Okay, good. Talk to you soon. Cheers.